There are three parables in, in Luke chapter 15, um, all on the theme of the lost being found. But Luke's not just repeating himself, saying the same thing three times. The parables each have their own distinct features and emphases. The first two parables, the shorter ones which Leslie read for us, emphasize, unlike the third, which is the longer known and better, sorry, the longer and better known um, uh, parable, the parable of the lost son, that the first two emphasize God reaching out, God looking out, God moving and going and, and seeking that which is lost. The opening verses of the chapter, verses 1 to 3, before Jesus begins the first of the parables, give us some background, but they're not just simply background detail, but they provide crucial information to help us understand what Jesus is saying in the parables. Two things stand out. The first of them, that those who are thought of as undeserving, the tax collectors and sinners, we're told, verse 1, were all gathering round. And the tense of that, we're all gathering, implies that this is something that was generally going on. This is something that was a typical kind of thing. Jesus, it seems, was attractive to these people. He was attracting these folk. They wanted to be with him. They were intent on what he was saying. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers, verse 2, did not approve. And you can probably imagine them tutting. You can probably imagine saying, well, look who's turned up now. Goodness me, I thought this was bad enough already, but look who's just walked in. See, there's people over there. The thing is, none of them ever come to church. Well, none of them. But Jesus can't possibly, they say, Jesus can't possibly be telling them the truth. They must be just giving them what they want to hear because they don't listen to us when we tell them the truth and so on. But Jesus not only let the tax collectors and the sinners gather around, but he ate with them. Now, that's a lot more than just sitting at the same table as someone in a, in a cafe today. In Jesus' time and place, to sit down and eat with someone was an affirmation of, of fellowship. It was a statement of to intimacy and unity. In many cultures, not just that one in Jesus' day. In many different cultures, meals are a kind of boundary marker between different levels of intimacy and acceptance. There's all kinds of laws in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus about eating, and they're not principally about hygiene. They're principally boundary markers. Here are the people you, as the people of God, should be eating with, and here, by implication, is the people you shouldn't. And the rules didn't just symbolize the boundaries. They created them. It wasn't then, and it still isn't easy for devout Jews to sit down and eat with Gentiles. And in Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees believed that Israel needed to be made pure. They believed that only when Israel was made pure would they be able to get rid, or would God get rid of the Roman oppressors and occupiers of their land. And so it was important to keep all these rules, to, to keep the purity. And, and here was Jesus seemingly flouting them. And that when the Pharisees disapproved, then it wasn't just a matter of personal distaste. They didn't like these guys. They thought they were a wee bit smelly or a wee bit crude or whatever. It was actually a political and theological priority that only those who were pure, only those who had been to the temple, only those who had observed all the laws could sit down and eat together. 
But Jesus was showing a different way. Jesus was showing what the kingdom of God actually was going to be like. A kingdom of grace, of welcome, of reaching out to sinners and reaching out for those who were lost. Now, Jesus being more attractive in the eyes of sinners than the religious community is, well, that's not a new problem. Here it is happening a long time ago. And it's not just an old problem. It didn't just happen then. Too often in our day and age, people have been left feeling that the church is not for the likes of us, that the church is looking down on them. Of course, we all find it easier to get on with folks that are similar to us. And then we can think of examples of how we get on with folks who are a wee bit different. You know, maybe someone who's got different politics or different hobbies or supports a different sports team and so on. And so we tell ourselves, well, we're fine, actually. We're not all that biased. You know, we've got friends who, whatever it is, vote Labour, support Celtic, read the Daily Mail, hate opera, prefer cats to dogs. You know, we're broad-minded. But it's not some kind of accommodation towards those who are basically on the same page that Jesus is talking about. He was attracting, he was reaching out to people who were very different, scandalously different. So that's the first thing we must notice, that the parables are about reaching out in a way that the Pharisees and the teachers weren't, and in a way that the church today all too often isn't. And then secondly, Jesus explains what is going on by telling parables that are directed towards the Pharisees. Verse 3, then Jesus told them, the Pharisees and the teachers, this parable, and so on. It is the decent people, the religious people, the rule-keeping people that Jesus was getting at. And notice he wasn't getting at them by saying how horrible they were. He wasn't getting at them by saying, well, you lot are far too snobby. You lot are just too stuck up. No, he doesn't attack them in that kind of way. He's getting at them by showing by contrast what God is like. God is the shepherd who goes hunting for the lost sheep. God is like the woman who searches and searches until she finds the lost coin. You see, God is the one who cares about the lost, who's wanted to reach the lost, and who is intent on putting in a lot of effort to find the lost. In fact, like the shepherd, like the woman with the lost coin, he stops everything else in order to go looking. That's what the shepherd does. He has these other people watching the 99, and he goes looking for the other sheep. The woman stops what she's doing, the cleaning of the house or whatever else she's been getting on with in order to go hunting for the coin. God is intent on reaching out in that kind of way with that kind of priority. Nothing else is more important than rescuing the lost. Not your own ideas of what is right and wrong, not your own notions of decency, not your own hobbies, not your own financial position, not your own well-being. More than any of that, God cares about you reaching out to the lost. And God celebrates when the lost are found. Verse 7 and verse 10 of our reading, they're rejoicing. And that corresponds to Jesus' action in the first couple of verses when he gets together with the tax collectors and sinners. They're gathering around and there's a big meal. There's a celebration going on. 
Jesus is saying quite clearly to the Pharisees that heaven rejoices when the lost are found. Heaven rejoices when those who have been deemed unattractive or lost sinners are brought into the fold and into the kingdom. Now, in the sending out of the 72 in, in Luke chapter 10, which we've been following as well through this passage, after Jesus had told that 72 disciples in Luke 10 to go out in confidence because the harvest was ready, and we looked at that theme last week, Jesus then spoke to these disciples about building links, about connecting, about finding people of peace. And so confidence in the gospel was one stage, and the next stage was reaching out and making genuine connections with folk, just like Jesus was doing here in Luke 15, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law weren't. And too often, parts of the church are who are eager about evangelism are not so eager about the importance of building links and about committedly reaching out and making connections. Too often, it looks a bit like this. Wow, what a word, yeah. Mmm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Paul, preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Lovely, lovely day God's made today. All this refreshing rain. Good for the flowers, the ducks, the ducks, the flowers. So, <laughs> some people. Some people believe in evolution, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's all... We didn't come from fish, grow legs. You didn't come from that, did you? Smart person like you. Intelligent person like you. Now, and do you know where you're going? I, mean, I don't mean where are you going after this, but do, do you know where you're going? You know, ultimately, lastly, are you sure? Have you, 
Have you been propitiated yet? You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's an airline going to heaven. There's a pilot. Not, not wash your hands, pilot, but a, a pilot to take to there, Jesus. You've got to know the pilot to get on, boat, on the plane. You've got to know the pilot, you know, to have a ticket. That's your ticket. Are you on board? Oh well, that's some more of the seed sown. Yeah, evangelism's not throwing the message from a distance at people. It's about coming alongside. But nevertheless, when we're alongside, still presenting and sharing the good news about Jesus. It was how Jesus behaved with others, and we also see the Apostle Paul doing the same. It was clear that his mission was to people, and not just to people like himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, at, at verse 19, he, he says this to the church, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like the one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. See, Paul was so committed to people that he would get alongside them. He would become as them. He would maybe pick up an interest or a hobby that they had in order that he would have something to talk to them about. He would maybe go to places where they went to so he could talk to them. He would discuss where they were coming from, how they saw things, how, in order to strike up conversations in which he could mention Jesus. Now, is that what we do? Are we as willing to work as hard as Jesus did? And as the Apostle Paul did, to put as much effort into reaching out to others? Are we just going to sit back like the Pharisees, tutting and criticizing, dismissing those who are not like us, and thinking, well, if they want to be saved, they know how to find us? Just before that, those parables in Luke chapter 15. Um, Jesus tells another parable of the, the great banquet in heaven of God's eternal provision. And how appropriate that he should make that message real by sitting down on a, at an earthly banquet with the tax collectors and sinners. How and where better could Jesus explain the invitation to them and show them that it was genuine and how to accept it than by first taking a meal with them accepting their welcome and talking to them round the table. The Pharisees wanted to keep their own religious way, but showed no interest in the joy of reaching out to those who were lost and knew they were lost. And that's the mindset that is needed among God's people, that reaching out way, that invitational style, not because we need new members, not because we need to keep the church going, but because that is who our God is. 
He's the shepherd who goes looking for the one. He's the, the, the woman who has lost a coin and stops everything until she can find it again. And so rather than saying to people, come to church and do things our way, our movement should be to go to people and working out what it might mean to apply the ways of God to their situation. We need to go like Paul and become weak with those who are weak, strong with those who are strong. And if in the ordinary course of life, we are not extending our contacts, not building on our relationships, and I know we need to think harder about that during lockdown, it's not as easy, but it's not impossible. We need to do these things. We need to reach out. The sinners in verse 1 of Luke 15 were still called by Jesus to repent. It wasn't simply a step of identification and affirmation, but it was a commitment to reach out to them so that the gospel could clearly be heard. But before we make that call with any credibility and any relevance and any force today, we need to reorient, reorient the focus of church activities from suiting ourselves to pleasing others. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10, there was no buildings to bring them to. There was no already formed programs for them to join in. There was no established form of service to be part of. They were to go. Find the people who were ready to listen. Find the people of peace, whether they be their kind of person or not. And we need to shift our minds so that we're not thinking, how do we fix church? But rather, how do we identify the persons of peace? How do we find out with whom and among whom God is already at work and go to that harvest? We need to think not who's coming to join us, but where next can we go? And who next can we bless? Let us pray. Light of the world, you step down into our darkness. You step to come alongside. You're the good shepherd who goes looking for the lost sheep. You're the woman with ten silver coins who hunts out the one that is missing. Because you are a God who loves, a God who reaches out, a God who wants to build bridges and not barriers. Forgive us for the times when we've built walls rather than bridges. Forgive us for the times when we've thought it's not our job to go, it's not our job to seek. Because Lord, if we're yours, then it is. Make us more willing to reach out not to lob a message from a distance, but to get alongside, to care and share and serve. That we might show more clearly who Jesus is. Amen. He is a shepherd who looks for the lost sheep and who cares for his people and cares for others in so many ways. We're going to sing the Lord's My Shepherd. 
And after we've sung that, we'll confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And Maureen will be leading us in prayer, and then we'll conclude our service with our closing hymn. Firstly, the Lord's my shepherd.